You are listening to the Cleveland Guardians FanCast, a podcast for fans of the Cleveland baseball team, hosted by Quincy Wheeler. Today, I'm here with my good friend, Wes George. Wes is a pastor, and uh, he's here to talk to us about his Cleveland baseball experience. Thanks for joining me, Wes. Thanks, Quincy. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Wes and I have been friends for a long time and gotten to be better friends over the pandemic period where we participate in an exceptional group chat with other pastor friends. Um, and uh, so we've known each other for a long time. Uh, Wes, how did you become a Cleveland baseball fan? Oh, let's see. I was thinking about that, knowing the interviews coming up. I started out, I think, a Toronto Blue Jays fan when I was like oh, wow. five years old. Um, my grandparents went down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and came back with a Toronto Blue Jays hat for me. So I was uh, a Blue Jays fan until my dad took me to a game. Uh, ironically, against the Blue Jays. I think he, I don't know if he was intentional about that or not. (laughs) In like 1988, we went to the old municipal field to watch the Indians and the Blue Jays. And I left rooting for the Indians because they won. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So um, we lived in Northeast Ohio, lived up in Mahoning County. So it was a, a pretty short drive to get up to the games. And we'd go up once or twice a year and watch the Indians play because you could in municipal, you could get those seats all extremely cheap back then, sit up in the nosebleeds. There was nobody up there. So it was it was a great time. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's interesting. You have a couple of different uh, experiences that I did then because I only went to municipal stadium once and it was to see a Chicago Bears, Cleveland Browns preseason game because uh, I started liking football just before the Browns left. And so I was kind of a Browns guy. And then also I liked the bears a little bit. And then when the Browns left, I stuck with the bears. And then now that the Browns are back, I kind of root for them on the side. (laughs) But anyway, that was the only time I went to a game in municipal stadium. And the other thing is my dad didn't really care so much about sports. He was always like, uh, let's uh, see the Buckeyes beat Michigan every year, but that was about it. And, you know, he also was raising five children. So I understand he didn't have time for church, <laughs> him and my mom and homeschooling them. So, um, so that, that aside, I didn't really have that experience of my dad investing in me in the baseball way. He was always supportive of me, like in baseball and I didn't go to the municipal stadium. So that's kind of cool to have those memories. Uh, did, uh, did the rest of your family kind of get into baseball too, or just kind of you and your dad? Well, my brother is actually the, the baseball guy in the family. My brother, um, he, he played a lot more than I did. He was a pretty decent pitcher, but a really good catcher. And then in high school, he, he kind of moved over to shortstop and, and he could hit the ball. Oh my, he could hit the ball a ton. And so he was the, the real baseball player in the family. I just kind of enjoyed watching the game some. And with my dad, uh, having two sons that are about a year and a half apart, 
Uh, my brother's only a year and a half younger than me. He, you know, sports kind of was natural in our house just to make sure we didn't break the furniture inside. <laughs> right. Definitely. I can see that coming for my boys as well. To make sure yeah. they get some of that energy out. Yeah. Send uh, them outside and break their legs. Just don't break the furniture. <laughs> Shortstop in high school. That definitely indicates he's a pretty good athlete. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so Wes, I know you have some, you have some visual challenges. I wonder if you might share with folks about like, how, how does that affect your following of the games? Do you tend to be more of a radio guy now or are you able to follow well, that pretty was, well? Yeah, that was the other thing. Um, as I grew up, my eyes weren't that good. And so my dad and I would listen to uh, the radio, listen to Hamilton's calls on the radio. And that was always fun. I can still remember, uh, you, you know, Lakeside, Ohio, pretty well. I can still remember listening to a ball game, a couple of Chicago White Sox Indians games from the mid 90s, listening to the calls as I sat watching Lake Erie up on up on the lakeshore. It was great. Um, but yeah, it makes it tough. I don't go to too many games anymore. Um, the last game I went to was probably Oh, it must have been about 15 years ago. A buddy and I did the home and home series for the Indians and Reds. He wanted to show me a Reds game and I wanted to show him an Indians game. So we we swapped tickets and kind of went together and it was, it was fun. Um, but I don't see the ball real well, so it's hard to follow the action other than on TV. So I watch a lot on TV where I can actually focus a lot easier on the ball. But yeah, it, it makes it tough to, to not be able to play the sport but still enjoy it. it. It really is. It's kind of, uh, it, it, it's, it's just difficult to, um, know that you want to play and can't or want to see something live and can't, but it's still fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm, I'm sure there are going to be people listening that will have that experience or know somebody with that experience. I have another friend of mine who used to go to games with who, has a lot of vision challenges and he would take binocul binoculars to try to follow a little bit better. And yeah, it's, that's a, uh, that's definitely a challenge to get through. And I guess it also, you know, it kind of helps you appreciate the uh, artistry of the radio broadcast a little bit to uh, appreciate how they can paint a picture and help engage you a little bit um, as well as the technology of TV that helps you be able to follow things a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But I, we're definitely blessed having Tom Hamilton. I think uh, he's a great, great game caller and make sure that I was just talking today and I see that my I was just noticing while I was getting ready that my episode I accidentally put on for tomorrow. But the episode that's coming up today, I was talking about how um, the uh, oh, oh, the episode that I that we was talking about Tristan McKenzie how Tom Hamilton doesn't care about the perfect game jinx. He just tells people <laughs> like third inning, he'll be like, Oh, he's throwing a perfect game. And he always does that. And I know it's because he's firmly committed to that. If people tune in, they should know what's happening. Like they shouldn't have to guess what's happening when they listen to him. And I appreciate that. I think that makes a lot of sense R rather than bowing to some sort of stupid superstition. Yeah, but I listened to that episode, and my first thought was, you mentioned our group chat. I still remember you coming into the group chat and well, talking about the Indians game. Yeah, and, and well, somebody Mar else our, our friend Mark is not, oh. is not Tom Hamilton. His job is not to describe the game. His job 
his job is to be part of the whole group of people that are keeping the silly superstition. I mean, as fans, what can we do but keep dumb superstitions that don't affect the game whatsoever and pretend like we're a part of it, you know? That's true. Because I watched, I, I wasn't watching that game. I was out doing something else and I saw your comment. And so I checked the game. And then by the time I got back, he had made a comment about McKenzie's perfect game. And I went, oh, Quincy's going to kill him. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. I'm already resentful just thinking about it. Uh, yeah, it's dumb. But hey, it's, that's what fans do is dumb stuff to keep us engaged uh, and make us feel like we're part of the team. All right. Well, tell me, Wes, what are some of your favorite Cleveland baseball memories? Well, some of... <sighs> I'll give you a couple. Uh, number one was being at a game. We were sitting out in right field out in the bleachers at, well, back then, the Jake. And Jim Tomei launched two home runs, maybe 20 seats off to our right. I mean, he hit them <laughs> almost in the exact same spot. And it was just awesome. Again, the Indians won. I don't think I've ever been to a Cleveland Indians game where they've lost. So uh, maybe I do need to get, become a season ticket holder. Yeah, you really do. But yeah, um, Jim Tomei launched two of those massive shots, just a few rows from us. And he was my favorite player at the time because I I bat left-handed. And so watching that big lefty come up and just, just stroke those things out. Oh, that was just, that was fun. Um, And then the other one, and, and it's painful, but the 1997 World Series, up until Jose Mesa gives it away, that oh, that was just unbelievable watching that because I, you know, you watch the 95 series, and by the time the World Series started, I didn't think they had much of a chance against Atlanta that year, but 97 they should have won it. 96 and 97 yeah. they should have won it. But in 2016, they should have won. They should have won that too. They should have won. That's the. I think that's the. That's what I love about sports. You know, they should have, but couldn't. And there's so many times the best team doesn't win, and that's just fun. Yeah, yeah, it is fun. It'd be nice if our team would win. As not the best team sometimes as well, but anyway, <laughs> but yeah, well, no. you know the Cavs did that once. <laughs> yeah, true. They, they uh, weren't the, they weren't necessarily the best team that year. No, that is true. They that I, I would say that Golden State was better that year, but they also were probably better than Golden State the year before and didn't win. So I That's guess you true. just got to give yourselves enough chances. Yeah, no, I, those are great memories. You know, Jim Tomey. I, for some reason, I was never like. Uh, Jim Tomey was never my favorite player, but he was a guy that was just always great to have on your team. And I think I underappreciated how amazing he was. Like he just was a truly incredible player. I was recently talking on, or I sent a question to another great uh, Guardians podcast, Guardians of the Future podcast. And I asked them, you know, who would you want to take from Indians teams of the past, like 20 years? Who would you like to put on the current team? And it really seems like it should be Jim Tomey because uh, we're not so great at first base. And you put a lefty in the middle of the lineup like that, who's going to walk and slam homers. And oh, I can't imagine Jim Tomey. Oh, him hitting right behind Jose Ramirez. 
Cool. Right. And then Fran and then Fran Mel Reyes right behind him. Yeah. yeah that, that'd be pretty incredible. Either that or Sandy Alomar. Yeah, that was suggested too, which would make our team a lot better having that kind of hitter at catcher. Yeah. Sandy yeah. Alomar and there's a lot of great almost... choices. Of course, we have holes in the outfield. So, you know, Manny Ramirez, Albert Bell, those are also great choices. Kenny Lofton. Kenny Lofton, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't go with Kenny Lofton because uh, we have a good center fielder, not like Hall of Fame center fielder what Kenny Lofton was, but we have a good center fielder, so I was trying to fix other holes on the roster. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, Kenny Lofton, you'd take him on any team. That's so what, that 95 lineup, insane, oh. insane. What was it? Omar Vizquel was the worst hitter on the team, and I think at one point in the season he was still over 300. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and – uh like the amazing thing, I think the thing, only thing you need to know about that lineup is that Manny Ramirez was hitting seventh or eighth, and yeah. you could make a legitimate argument that that's where he should have hit in that lineup, which yeah. tells you, which tells you how amazing that lineup was. Uh, I think I think Tome was hitting when he oh. first came up. Yeah, he was like eighth or ninth. Yeah, he was down there. He was down there. Yeah, they had they yeah. had some sluggers on that team. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so and now we've thought a little bit about the past. What are you looking forward to as we head into the new area as the Cleveland, the new era as the Cleveland Guardians? What are you looking forward to? Well, uh, this year, I'm just hoping that they'll be competitive. Um, you know, I, I look at their lineup and, I, and I'm listening to your podcast. so I know more about the lineup than I usually do at this time of year. Um, <laughs> Nice. I, I'm looking forward. I, I'm hoping that they will be competitive. I'd like to see a couple of the new, the, the younger guys get a chance, but I really hope this year with the rebrand and so many fans who are skeptical of the team and, and probably are looking for an out, I'd really like to see them make a splash in free agency, bring in somebody like an like Edward Encarnacion a couple of years ago, and just try to make a splash right off the beginning and do something great. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen because, you know, we, we root for Cleveland and that's just never going to happen in Cleveland. But I, I am excited really for the name change and just being able to not have the controversy surrounding the team anymore. You know, the last 20 years, it's been tough to to listen to some of my friends who are closer to indigenous peoples and, and really hammer the team. And it's just kind of get that monkey off of our backs of, Hey, there's just no more controversy. We can go out and have fun with baseball again. Yeah. That's kind of, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. That's great. Me too. And I do think, I do think they'll make a splash before the season starts. I, I doubt it will be signing a big free agent though. It might happen uh, depending on what a couple guys want from a team, but uh, I do think they'll make a little splash before the season starts. They want to try to get some momentum going. So we'll see. Of course we have to get through this lockout first, but <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no. Wes, thanks hey, then, for listening to the podcast. And I wonder if you would tell people about where to find your website. I do a little bit of writing for your website <laughs> here and there, but yeah, completely you might want to check unre- out what you have to say. <laughs> completely unrelated to Guardians, to the Cleveland Guardians, but I do uh, moderate a website, saintsandidiots.com. Uh, if anybody wants to check that out, it I, I like it. I think it's a good read. Quincy does write for me occasionally. 
Uh, we're in the middle of a very good series that he's writing. So people need to check him out there. His hundred favorite novels. So maybe he'll start a podcast about that. <laughs> right. Yeah, boy. Uh, I don't know about that, but yeah, it's, it's great. You should check out saintsandidiots.com. I do a little bit for him here and there talking about faith, talking about scripture, talking about uh, in this case, the intersection of faith and art uh, and especially literature. But Wes is all over the place with that. He's got all kinds of great places that faith intersects with our lives in a bunch of different ways and does a great job talking about it. So make sure to check that out. Thanks for spending some time with me today, Wes. Hey, thanks for having me, Quincy. This has been the Cleveland Guardians FanCast. Music is provided by purpleplanet.com. That is purple-planet.com. Our intro song is purchased, licensed from pond5.com.